0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm in the grocery store the other day. I'm shopping, and I'm like surveying the the aisle and like the produce in front of me and trying to figure out what I'm going to get, and I'm checking my list. And I'm like a nervous grocery shopper. Like, I'm always like, am I getting the right thing? I miscount the serving sizes and things, so I'm, I'm paying attention. And I've taken my time, and I've collected my item, and I turn around, and I realize that there's been somebody behind me the whole time, kind of waiting their turn to get in to the shelf where I've been taking up all the space, right? And so, what does the social contract say I should do? I'm so sorry, right? I should apologize. Why? (laughs) Did, Did I sin against this person? Right? Probably. I mean, not with that. It was the other stuff I did beforehand. Like, no, it's like, in our culture, making someone wait feels like something that is, like, really wrong. Like, so much so that we should apologize for it. Who knows what I'm talking about here? Yes, it's like that weird thing. I do it in traffic, too. Like, a car has to wait for you, and you're, like, scurrying across the, you know, (laughs) crosswalk, like... That's a great example of that. I'm going to not do that again. But you get the point. It's like this weird thing we have about waiting, and we don't like to do it, and it feels strange to us. There's a, a, a professor at the University of Maryland named Jason Farman, and he studies this phenomena. He wrote a book called Delayed Response a couple of years ago. And he looks at like, how we engage the task of waiting and why it's painful to us. And part of what he talks about is how in a Western culture, like in the United States, we see um, time as something that's connected to our individuality. So when someone has to wait for you or you wait for someone else, it's like painful because it's limiting their productivity. You know, like Chris, I have, I have barred you from realizing your full potential because you had to wait for me to get my you know, green onions or whatever it was, okay? Um, this is not the same in other cultures, but it's like that here, okay? Similarly, he says that we we should really pay attention to that because waiting is actually a good thing for us as human beings, all right? And not just for the part of you that's like, I should be more patient, which is probably true, and it's true for me. But waiting, he says, is that creates space for you to daydream, and like that opens up your mind for like new ideas. So this is the phenomena that happens when you're like sitting in traffic and you're at the stoplight and all of a sudden you have like a fresh thought or like a solution to a problem you hadn't thought of before. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like it, there's lots of circumstances where this happens, but you're like, oh, that happened because you were waiting, because you had to wait and like blocked the sort of churn of life and allowed your mind to open up to new possibilities and see things in a different way. Today's reading from Acts is the story that Luke tells of the Ascension, the Luke-Acts version of the Ascension. And it's got some familiar elements if you're churchy and you've been around a little bit. Jesus has got his disciples with him, and they're like, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he's like, wrong question. Dude, no, it's not how it's going to go. And that's a loose translation of the Greek. And then he says, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then they watch him ascend. He floats up ahead of them or whatever. He ascends into, out of their view. And they're looking up to the heavens. And there some angels show up. And they're like, hey, right here. Look down here. You need to go. Don't look up there. Your job is here. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they go and gather in the upper room, and they wait, and they pray. All right, so here's my question for you. You've got Jesus giving a really specific and direct to-do item, an action item from work. It's on the to-do list. It has a little checkbox. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? And the disciples, in the face of this specific, direct admonition of their Lord, go back to Jerusalem, and they wait, and they pray. But didn't he tell them to do something? Right? But the first thing they do is they go and do this other thing. In fact, they do the not doing thing. They wait, and they pray. Right? Does that strike anyone else as sort of strange? Right? So, like, a couple of observations about this reality. First is that when Jesus ascends, this is in the first century the way that um, you would proclaim uh, one of the emperors to actually have been divine. The way you told the world that they were divine is that there was a witness that saw them ascend into to the heavens. And they were like, aha! We knew that guy was really in charge. Good on the Caesar, Right? So Luke is using this imagery with Jesus to demonstrate that Jesus is the true Lord of the world. It ain't the Caesar. The true Lord that is actually God is this Jesus who was crucified and has been raised and has been hanging out with people for 40 days. And so that picture is important. Caesar's not in charge. Jesus is. Um, Which is an important thing to say also because the way that Jesus has become king he's telling us in the gospel earlier is through the cross. So the Caesar becomes king and holds power by inflicting violence. Jesus becomes king by taking it on, right? Jesus takes the punch, he doesn't throw it. Um, and suffering is part of the path of his disciples. That's what First Peter is talking about. But that's important because that's not what his disciples think he's supposed to be up to, right? This is why, second observation, they come to him and say, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel, man? Like, dude, bro, it's time for us to make the political move that we've been waiting to make the whole time. They still think that the way that God's kingdom comes is going to be by basically getting the wrong people out of power and putting the right people in power. If we can just get the right people at the top of the food chain, making all the decisions that think like we do and believe the right things, then we can really make this earth like it's supposed to be, right? Jesus says, no, that's not how it's going to be. He keep, he's been telling them this the whole time. He's said, my kingdom isn't like this world. It doesn't work this way. It's not built it is not a a kingdom that harnesses the power of this world it is a kingdom that is empowers witnesses to go to the ends of the earth in community right this is an important thing side note because doesn't this temptation of the church sound awfully contemporaneous right like the the resurgence of christian nationalism is like the latest version of this where people are like if we just put this religion in charge and they're at the top of the food chain we can make everybody else do what they we want to do no Jesus' disciples do not do that they will not take power that way not and actually be disciples of jesus taking power like that and and like mandating stuff and trying to be in control is anti to the christ okay so second observation third observation with this direct task from jesus the disciples go back to jerusalem and they wait and they pray which let's be honest doesn't that feel kind of lame like in our activist age shouldn't they be doing something more useful with their time i mean it's great to pray and all but if we're going to get stuff done we need to make like a strategic plan Right? We need at least a spreadsheet to keep track of everything. Like, what do you mean they're just going to go sit and wait and pray? I mean, come on. Doesn't the kingdom come through our busyness? Isn't the world made whole by our strenuous effort? Well, apparently not. Apparently, there's some other dynamic that goes with this work. And that dynamic has to do with waiting and praying. Right? Waiting is painful to us though we're in the the age of computers text messages you know we're we want it now we want it done yesterday i mean i don't want to say about this community but i know a lot of communities were really frustrated in the pandemic when the internet didn't work like it was supposed to and they said a lot of things about it i mean not here but like other places right you know so like we this this notion of waiting is a real challenge to us because basically, in this case, Jesus is reminding them, look, guys, the way this world is going to be made whole when God's kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God, it's it's not going to come through, like, your efforts. It's not going to come through your busyness. It's not going to come through your excellence and your efficiency. It's going to come through the empowerment of the Spirit working in you, which is the second thing about the waiting stuff that's hard, right, is that When we have to wait, we have to acknowledge that we are powerless over the thing that we're waiting for. We don't have control over it. If we did, we wouldn't be waiting for it, right? You right now are powerless over how long this sermon is going to be. (laughs) You feel it in your bones. It's concerning. But you know you have to wait (laughs) because you're not in control. Part of what this text is reminding us is that as disciples of Jesus, we will see what is happening in this world that is not right, that which is broken, that which is evil, that which remains unredeemed, and we will have to at first pass accept our powerlessness over that. The task and the the posture of the waiting is recognizing I don't have control over this. This is made whole not on my timeline but on God's. I'm actually not in charge of this. I, need to, I should probably be careful trying to be, because I might not get it right. Right? And, as all of our beloved who are in recovery will tell us, man, once you admit you're powerless over something, then stuff starts humming. Because when you admit that you're powerless, when you step into waiting and praying, then you are open to the empowerment of spirit. Mmm, that's good. That's why this message is today. Okay? Because... The Feast of the Ascension, when this story happened, was Thursday. We had a little Eucharist right over here. Jason Franklin preached. It was lovely. It was great. We talked about the message of the Ascension. Donnie was there. Um, next Sunday is Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, which means there's so I love that this story gets put on the Sunday of Easter 7 between these two feasts, because this season is the season of waiting. There are other seasons of waiting too, but in this one we, we practice the Christian vocation of holding out between the promise of spirit and its coming. We are not assured the spirit. It is not guaranteed. We do not possess it. It comes to us as gift in prayer. But this prayer is not passive, okay? Don't mistake this for some binary where Dixon's like, oh, I guess I don't need to do anything in the world or help the poor or work at all for the kingdom of God because all I do is pray. It ain't a binary. It's not all of one and none of the other. It is a mix of the two, okay? Um, There's a story about Jesus with his disciples, and they have been trying to cast a demon out of someone, and they won't work. And so they come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we're trying to cast this demon out like you told us to, and nothing's happening. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, yeah, those come out by prayer and fasting. There are some things in our world that are not right, that are wicked, that are broken, that are evil. Um, And the most powerful thing to do in response to them is to pray. Apparently, sometimes those things, the needle moves not through putting your hands on it and trying things, but through the waiting and the pray. Um, This is why praying is not passive work. And when you think about it too, the stuff that is the most broken in our world, that drives us the most mental in our politics, that makes us the most anxious, um, when I think about uh, the news and what I'm watching, like so many of those things, um, the reason we feel powerless is because we've lost our imagination for what to do. We kind of find ourselves falling into the same, I mean, how many uh, talking points come out after each new shooting? And it's the same thing over and over again. You start to feel hopeless, right? waiting and prayer is like no 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 when you wait it can open your mind to new possibilities new imaginations this is what spirit does and that's why spirit needs you to practice waiting so what about you where are you being invited to wait and pray in your context right now is there something in your life that you it's a it's a problem it's a concern and you want it fixed now you need the answer today You needed it yesterday, but it's not done yet. What would it look like for you to take a deep breath and to wait and to pray, trusting that there can be a way forward It just might not be here yet? Are your kids making decisions that are breaking your heart and you know you don't have control over them? You love them. You're not even sure if you should tell them what you think. Wait and pray. In the face of that political situation that's driving you crazy because it's so insane. What does it look like for us to wait and to pray? Not as a passive inaction, but as a way to open ourselves to spirit, the to way to, to be ready to receive the gift that empowers us to join God in healing all that is broken individually and throughout the world. So may you wake up and see the power of waiting, the power of praying. And may you on Pentecost receive spirit to take that witness to the ends of the earth. Amen.